Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault at what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large, they are driven by strong winds. They are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of its life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have become made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapefruit, grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. For you, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then pure and loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, raise a harvest of righteousness. I was going to say, do take a seat, but everyone's sitting down already, aren't they? Uh, hopefully you enjoyed live music. It's good, isn't it? It sort of feels like it's a step in the right direction before masks are off and we all can sing along, I hope. My name's Nathan, if we haven't met. Really, really good to see you here, um, especially if you're visiting us today. Just to say... Um, we don't mind about noise from children. It's likely that it'll be my children making the noise. But if you do want to go somewhere a bit quieter, um, there's a TV just in the side room there where you can watch along with the service um, if that's helpful for you. Let me pray before we look at this passage from James. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. Amen. It's eight centimeters long. It contains eight muscles, up to 10,000 taste buds on its surface. I'm, of course, talking about the movable organ in the floor of the mouth, aka the human tongue. The tongue, or at least the words that come from it, can be inspirational, can't they? I have a dream. We will fight them on the beaches. 
But the words of our tongue, the words of our mouth, can also be deeply destructive. There's not a person in this whole room who hasn't been hurt by that eight-centimeter muscular organ. It's not a person in this room who hasn't hurt a spouse, parent, friend, with that eight-centimeter muscular organ. We all know the phrase, don't we? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words never break me. But that's rubbish, isn't it? Words do hurt us. They break us. They're destructive at times. And so today, Pastor James, who's written this letter to a group of scattered believers in the first century, he wants us to take a long, hard look at our tongues. That's what we're going to be doing this afternoon. The tongue then was first introduced, I don't know if you remember, it feels a few weeks ago, but in chapter 1, verse 26, where James said this, it should come up on the screen. He said, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves and their religion, that is that their Christian faith is worthless. That's where he introduced it. And now he wants to return to that theme in more detail at the start of this new section. Previously, if you've been here, as we've been looking through James, do you remember there's been that essential link he wants between faith and deeds, or faith and works? And now he says something similar. He wants a link between faith and words. Faith and our mouths, our tongues. Because the single-minded Christian, the consistent Christian, he says, will be able to control their tongue and use it as a blessing. And we want that, right? (laughs) I certainly want that in my life. So let's look at the first thing today that we see, verses 1 to 6. Beware the power of the tongue. Beware the power of the tongue. It's the first bit of teaching that he brings in this chapter is actually a specific warning. Look at verse one. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. The role then of the teacher in the first century where James is writing, it was a position of status and authority. And he's saying to the the believers he's writing to, don't enter into it lightly. Don't enter into it hastily. We'll see next week in chapter four, it seemed with their tongues that there was a a slander going on in the church. There was pride with their words. And, And of course, for the preacher or the Bible study leader, we could say, words, of course, are the bread and butter, aren't they? But it's difficult for us to control our tongues, in public and also in private. The teacher, the preacher, has an enormous capacity to do damage. So don't rush into it, James says, for the wrong reasons. In fact, he adds to that little warning, doesn't he? The teacher will be judged more strictly. It's a bit scary for me coming and preaching this passage on a, on a Sunday like this. But what he's saying there, of course, Romans 8 verse 1, something like that would say, look, there's, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're, we're saved if we trust in Jesus. But yet for the teacher, the teacher will be held more accountable for their words. Take it then, if I'm just preparing my sermon on a Saturday night in front of Anton Deck on TV, 
Well, I'll have to give account before God for that. Just to clarify, I didn't do that. I've been working on it all this week. But see what he's getting at. So, so for teachers, do pray for us, please. Jeremy, me, um, think of Mark and Joe who are preparing for ministry at Bible College, Bible study leaders as well. Pray for our words. Pray for our speech both in public and in private. Because I was even dwelling on this today, there's many brilliant, brilliant preachers, different league than me, who have ruined churches by their words. Bullying words, controlling words, manipulating, lying words. You might think, well, is this sermon just about preachers? Why did I need to bother turning up today? This is stuff that you can do as homework, Nathan. Surely this isn't for me. Well, verse 2, James starts to address all of us. We can't get away with it quite that easily. Look at verse 2, halfway through. He says, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When he says perfect there, he, he means mature, means complete, and what he's saying is that if you can start to control your tongue, well, that's a good sign that you'll control the whole of you, whole of your body. But before we think about taming the tongue, James wants us to understand our tongue. And so we all sort of, I know we're wearing masks, most of us, but we all sort of need to open our mouths and say, uh, look at our tongues. And James wants us to understand them before we use them. And what does he want us to know? Well, a number of things. First, he wants us to know that our tongues are small, but disproportionately powerful. And he does that through an illustration of a horse. Um, I learned this week that a horse can run a quarter of a mile in 25 seconds. Probably not all horses, but fast ones. Quarter of a mile in 25 seconds. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? You wouldn't be able to keep up with that. But put a bit in their mouth, like in this picture here, and you can gain control of this huge beast. Put a skilled rider on the back. I've heard rumours that Adam Rice, who's leading the service, was, was a skilled horse rider in his youth. Put Adam on the back of the horse, a, a, a bit in its mouth, and well, they can dance around obediently over obstacles. Not Adam, but the horse. Dancing obediently over obstacles. What James is saying is a, a small thing, this little bit that you can hardly even notice, but controls the big thing, the large thing. Or he uses the second illustration of a, of a ship and its rudder. The photo that um, should be coming up now is, um, is where I, I grew up, in Falmouth. Um, there's a ship there in the dock. And in the harbour in Falmouth, the third deepest natural harbour in the world. Just throw those kind of stats out there if you want to go on holiday um, to Falmouth. But, but they regularly, when we, I was growing up, we could see these huge cruise lines, these huge ships there. But what's controlling it? Tiny little rudder controlling this huge ship and the point again James is making becomes very clear at the beginning of verse 5 likewise the tongue is a small part of the body yet it makes great boasts in other words this tiny tongue eight centimeters it maneuvers the whole person either for good or for bad Small but disproportionately powerful. It's, it's also destructive and uncontrollably powerful. A few years ago, Charlotte and I went to, um, went to California, to America. It was a bit of a sort of once-in-a-lifetime, before children came along, um, road trip that we went on. 
to California. But before we went out there, we saw that there, there were wildfires, forest fires um, in Yosemite National Park, where we were going to be heading. And we had um, we booked to stay, I think, for three nights camping. It's going to be brilliant. Really looking forward to the highlight of the holiday. Um, but we saw the news of these wildfires, and we kept on getting emails saying the park's closed, but it should be open for when you come. Kept on getting pushed back, pushed back until the email came that said actually the, the park will be closed. Here's your cancellation money back. Still, obviously, haven't quite got over the way I'm talking about it now. And I still get emails from Yosemite saying, "When are you coming next to visit?" And I really need to unsubscribe from those. Um, but actually, much more serious than our spoiled holiday was the destruction that these wildfires caused in California. Just a spark, you know, just a spark of, of an old cigarette or, or a barbecue, an ember of an old barbecue, led to tens of thousands of acres of forest destroyed. And with the tongue, James says, verse six, do you know, he didn't say it's like a fire, he said it, it is a fire. And the result, verse 6, is that our tongue can be a world of evil and it corrupts every area of life and it's hellish. An old Bible college lecturer of mine, a lady called Kirsten Burkett, she said this. She said, James is painting the tongue as a devilish secret agent in our midst, a traitor that is always handing us over to the enemy. It's destructive. And look, I know each one of us here, if we were to share would have stories that we could tell of, of being in the destructive path of someone else's tongue and the effects that's had on us, on our family, on our friendships. And we could always, also I'm sure, dish out stories of when we've been the one that's been dishing out those things. A spark can lead to a, a whole forest of destruction, James is saying. So beware the power of the tongue. And we need to know that in, in the church family, don't we? I know we might think, well, I'm wearing a mask. I'm not speaking to anyone on a Sunday. I'm, I'm safe. But of course, as things open up and as we start chatting to each other and obviously online and all those things, we need to be aware of this, don't we? Gossip. I, I wonder, if, wonder if you've heard about what's going on with this person, we say to someone. Or just, just so you can pray about the situation, let me share what's going on in this person's life. We sort of, the guise of sort of spiritual, but, but really it's just gossip. Maybe it's criticism. I wish Jeremy or, or Nathan had just, just done this. Or I, I wish the music at Trinity was just a bit more, whatever we might say. With small group studies, I wish they wouldn't be so, whatever you might say, I don't know. Of course, it doesn't mean we can't air concerns. It doesn't mean to a church where no one can ever say what they're feeling. I don't mean that, but, but is our tongue characterized by criticism? I wonder sometimes whether the answer, our answer might be that we, we zip it. I'm saying this for myself very much, and we listen more than we use the tongue. We listen to people on the Zoom Bible study who are a bit quieter. We, we listen to them rather than speak over them. Men in the church listen well to women. And I want to just say something here as well to extend what James is saying to, to marriages. Like I know uh, for, for many marriages during COVID, um, it's been hard. It's been tough. I want to ask 
for your marriage, if, if you're married here, where are the sparks potentially leading to those wildfires? Is it in the, the always or never kind of language? You know what that's like. I always take the bins out. You never take the bins out. Or is it in the never language? You, you never support me in my career. Or maybe it's in the, the grating sarcasm or, or the tearing down in front of other people. You know, the group of people, oh, your husband is such a funny guy. And you say, is he? I've heard. Or is it in the, the, the keenness that you tell a group of people, um, it's only since we've been working at home together that I've realised how little work they actually do as I've observed that. And, and you, you get the laugh from the group. Is that, is that kind towards your spouse? I don't think so. Or is it lying in a marriage? When I was going out with Charlotte early, early stages, I remember um, she asked me, Charlotte said to me, have you told this certain person that we're going out? And I said, oh, no, no, I haven't, I haven't told them. But I had told them. And actually, a day later, I needed to say to Charlotte, sorry, I, I don't know why I did that, but I lied. And um, I shouldn't have lied, and I was wrong. And Charlotte, was, she was scared with how convincing I was, as I just, we might say, oh, that's just a little lie, it didn't matter. But no, it was significant for her. And she's not held that against me, we've moved on. But, but those kind of lies, little lies, big lies, we might characterize them differently, but, but in a marriage, they can be toxic. We need to see the trajectory of where these sparks can lead to potential forest fires, marital breakdowns. That means extinguishing and putting out the fires early, I guess, doesn't it? As we deal with issues as they arise, not leaving them, as we forgive and move on, as we don't file these things to, to use against the person at a later date. And I wonder as we think about that with marriages or almost general with friends or with church any of those things strike home with you where's your powerful tongue my powerful tongue controlling controlling you or me where do we need to confess our tongue and where we've used it in this way we're often quick aren't we to see it in other people <laughs> not quite so quick sometimes to see it in ourselves so beware the power of the tongue. James moves on, though, in the next little section to say, beware the problem of the tongue. And this is devastating. Look at verse 7. Let me read. He says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. 12th of April, I think it is, isn't it, where... Um, hairdressers, barbers can open, but they're making a big thing about zoos can open again as well. Um, I've never been to London Zoo, but um, I've, you know, if you've got cost an arm and a leg to get in, but if you get in there, it's a brilliant day, obviously, to, to go along. And I haven't been there, but I presume they've got sort of tigers and, and lions who have, who have in some ways been tamed, these huge beasts who can take food out of the, the keeper's hand. I definitely wouldn't want to be one of those people. Or the dolphins that can, can be trained and tamed to, to go through the, the hoops as well. Actually, some people at Trinity, I know, have got cats during, uh, during lockdown. And, uh, and you've had to, to train those cats to, to eat in a certain place or to do their litter 
not in a certain place, and, and maybe that work is still slightly ongoing for some cats. But those things, those animals, they can be tamed, James says, but yet no human can tame the tongue. We can't tame it on our own. Can't master it. We can't control it. It's devastating, isn't it? No pills that the doctor can prescribe can help. No rehab, no willpower. Our tongues are untamable. James says they're a restless evil, full of deadly poison. It's like we've got a hazardous weapon in our mouth that can kill. Humanly speaking, we cannot tame the tongue. We can't douse the spark. And our tongues as well, they reveal our hearts. They reveal our double-tonguedness, we could say, or our double-mindedness. Verse 10, have a look down at that. He says, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. So we're saying one minute we're praising, next we're cursing. Cursing people who have been made in God's image. And he's saying this should not be. It's, it's double-minded. It's, it's inappropriate for those who have trusted in Jesus and his gospel. remember quite a number of years ago, my uncle um, took me as I was a, quite a young boy to a, a rugby league match. It's the only time I've ever been to, to one of those. And, um, and he took me along and I was really excited about it. But a couple of rows behind, there was a really sort of full-on rugby fan there you know, binoculars out, shirt on, program under the, you know, really getting into it. And this guy was just going for it the whole match. He was um, shouting, leading the chants, shouting the players' names, getting really into it. But also, as soon as as any of these players dropped a ball or gave away a penalty, he was saying words that I'm not going to repeat now. And and my uncle, I think, was very much putting his uh, hands over my ears at a young age. But I guess if you played the recording back to this guy at the end of, of him during this 80 minutes, pretty, pretty embarrassed about it. The one minute he was praising these people as if they were his own son, and the next minute he was, well, he was saying things that were cursing them. And James is saying as Christians, we, we can't have that kind of inconsistency. It's, it's double-minded, it's double-tongued. It's inconsistent with the, the word, James says, that has been implanted in us. And he backs this up with a, a nature illustration. Can fresh water and salt water come from the same str- spring? Or, or can fig trees bear olives? Look, I don't know a lot about this kind of stuff, but I know the answer to those is no. The tongue, it reveals our heart. And how true that can be of, of the workplace. Praise God on a Sunday at church. Love singing songs, or at least humming along to the songs. Maybe have a great quiet time in the Bible, devotional on a Monday morning. Start the week with good intentions, but, but we gather round to hear the juicy gossip about Steve from HR on a Monday morning in the first break. Or, or we slander someone just to get ahead in our career. You know, have you, have you heard about Julie? She's... She's just a bit slow on that last project, isn't she? You mentioned to your boss in a, in a drink after work, just so that you might be nudged ahead of Julie at work. Or a good old moan at work. Good old moan about a, a client or a student or a parent or a contractor or a patient. 
or maybe the sidebar chat on Zoom while this other person's presenting. Or we lie to a, a boss. Have you finished the project? Yeah, yeah, no, it's all done. As we realize we've got six hours more that we need to do on it. I wonder if this extends a bit further. Well, can I suggest it does extend a bit further into email and text and social media. I find it really tragic the way that people who profess to be Christians then become warriors on the keyboard and say things that brothers and sisters this should not be, as James would say. It's an old principle, but a good one that we should ask ourselves, that I should ask myself, would I say this to this person's face? If not, don't tweet it, <laughs> don't email it, don't say it. In Proverbs 18, 21, Katie read from one of the Proverbs earlier. Another proverb says this, the tongue has the power of life and death. And I wonder if the parents here at Trinity, are the words we're saying to our children, are they words of life or are they words of death? Are they words of life in, in building our children up? family devotionals, prayer, encouragement, or is it words of death, mocking our children, laying guilt at their feet, or, or condemning them, or angry words, harsh words at our children? As we pause there, we, we can't brush off what James is saying. Or we can't just say, well, it's just me, it's just who I am, you know, my tongue's always been like this, or, or just seeing it as a peripheral, peripheral issue. But, but as we look in the mirror of what God is saying here in his words, this is all of us, isn't it? Me very, very much included. And it's devastating. Our tongues have been evil all the way back from Genesis 3. We can't produce good on, on our own. They're small, but, but their effect is disproportionate. They're destructive. They're untamable. They're double-minded, James says. I wonder at this point if you feel utterly dejected. You wonder quite why it was that you came out the door to come to church today, if you knew this was what it was going to be about. Do we? What's the answer? Do we... Do we just get the masking tape out and, you know, keep it there for a while? Do we permanently mute ourselves on Zoom so that we can't do this? How can, how can I, how can we not be like this with our tongues? Well, that's the last thing. Only with the wisdom that comes from heaven. There's hope. There's hope. Verses 13 to 18. Pursue heavenly wisdom. See, heavenly wisdom enables us to keep a tight rein over our tongues. That's what James commended and asked for back in chapter 1, verse 26. Not that the answer is never to speak again, but that we control our tongues. And I wonder if we, we naturally sort of equate wisdom with cleverness. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? It's quite easy to do that, isn't it? Someone who's, who's got quite a few letters after their name, uh, a PhD, or, or they've read very widely. That person's wise. But actually, James thinks of it in a slightly different category or very different category. He says, no, wisdom is linked to the good life. True wisdom is to do with behavior, character, humble deeds. 
And he says there's two kinds of wisdom. Did you see that when it was being read out? Earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. See, earthly wisdom, it, it elevates ourselves. It's a problem, it seems, for James's audience that they, who he's writing to, they pulled others down, they boasted, they were selfish. Yet true wisdom, well, true wisdom is from outside of this world. It's heavenly. It's God's wisdom, and boy, how we need that. And you know what? It's available to all of us. Isn't that brilliant? Not my words, but James's. <laughs> Again, it should come up on the screen. Chapter 1, verse 5. Do you remember we looked at that? Just ask. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. He gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Just ask. And so with Micah at the moment, he's getting really into trying to do little jigsaw, you know, six pieces, eight pieces, something like that. Pretty simple. But yeah, he's getting them in the wrong order and can't click them together. And he's just oh, really frustrating. And we just say to Micah, just ask. Just, just ask mummy or daddy to help. I mean, a please would be nice if you want to throw that in as well. But, but just ask. And, and of course, we'll help. And God says the same. Just ask. Ask me for wisdom. And I'll give it to you. And see what heavenly wisdom can lead to. Did you see that in verse 17? It's pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, merciful, fruitful, impartial, sincere. It's a pretty nice list, isn't it? Humanly speaking, we can't tame it. Can't tame the tongue. But with God's help, with God's wisdom, it's wonderfully possible to change. So let me ask you this, this week coming up, will you, will you pray, will you ask for wisdom to help tame the tongue? That your words would be words of life rather than words of death. Before that difficult work meeting that you know you've got coming up this week, or before you know that, that email that's lingering in your inbox that you know you need to reply to and, and you're just not quite sure what to say, or... Or that tough chat with a family member that you always know will just get you angry and, and you're going to say something you regret. Will you stop and will you ask for wisdom? And of course we can pray for forgiveness as well, can't we? We can pray for ongoing wisdom when we've blown it. When we've used harsh words. When we've boasted unnecessarily. Jesus died for you. He died for those words and those things when he died on the cross. And God is so gracious that he knows we stumble in many ways. It says that in verse two. So draw near, draw near to him. He gives fresh wisdom by his grace. It's a good gift from him, fresh wisdom for, for each day to face each day that's coming. And so pursue wisdom because verse 18, the very last verse says that it leads to a harvest of righteousness. I take it that that's a harvest of righteousness in our own lives as we grow in maturity, but also it's in others' lives as, as we witness to them, as we are an example to them as well. It's eight centimetres long. We don't think about it much, but it has the potential for so much damage. Some of us know that keenly. But with God's wisdom, it has the potential for so much good, 
so much blessing. And so let's ask God to bless the words that come from our mouths. Let me pray now. Father God, I thank you for for our tongues. Um, Lord, the things that humanly speaking we've seen are untamable. And Lord, we want to say sorry for the times, the many times where we've jumped to say something that instantly we've re- we've regretted. That we we're sorry that we opened our mouths, that we've hurt people. Forgive us for those things. We pray. Lord, we think of the Lord Jesus. Just reflecting on the, the fact that he, in every single situation, said the right thing. Whether that was strong words, compassionate words, challenging words. We want to be more like him. And I pray that as we ask for that wisdom, we would be more like him. Help us to be bold and ask for that wisdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.